Hey, this is Zach Knight from the Tactical Leadership Podcast. And if you want to build world-class communication skills, you should be listening to the Art of Communication Podcast with my good friend, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Today, we'll be talking with Zach Knight. Zach is the CEO of Knight Protection Services and the host of the Tactical Leadership Podcast. And he's actually led soldiers into combat in Afghanistan. So we have a really interesting conversation. We touch on the importance of communication in the context of a literal war zone where bullets are actually flying. That's when it matters most. What it means to be a first follower and the importance of communicating in a unique way to each individual to make sure that they take the message away that you want them to. And we even get a little bit into how to deal with bullies. So it's, it's a powerful interview. He's passionate about it and it really shines through. I know that you're gonna enjoy it and take a ton away around listening and leadership. So, hey, Zach, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on the Art of Communication podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Greg. I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Ton of stuff I want to talk about. I know that there is just a ton of valuable insights you're going to be able to share with my audience around how to be a really impactful tactical leader and the communication skills that it takes to do that really effectively. And we're going to get into all the great stuff that you're doing with Night Protective Services. But I'd love if we could to go back to the beginning. You know, I'm a real believer in the power of conversations. And I know that there's a really powerful story about what inspired you to start going down this path. So if you could maybe share a little bit around that discussion that you had and kind of the path that it led you down, I'd love to start there if that's okay. Sure. Um, you know, I, I never really put communication on a forefront until I became a police officer. And um, I started in 2009. And that's one of those things where you don't really think about communication as a young guy, right? I was 21, young, arrogant, full of uh, piss and vinegar, if you will. And <laughs> didn't think about how I said anything ever. I'm, I'm a very blunt guy. I still am to this day. I've learned to put a little bit of context around things a little bit better and, you know, frame things better. But 21 with a lot of authority. I just kind of said what I said because I didn't care. And after a couple years of uh, getting shut down pretty hard by different people and not making the best of impressions as a police officer, you know, it's so much public image. And if you're just that a-hole walking around saying whatever you want to people, you know, it's that old adage, you know, you don't, you can catch more bees with honey than vinegar, right? And as I moved into the narcotic side of, of police work, you really had to have that gift of gab. You had to be able to talk to anybody where one day I might be doing a drug deal or, or talking to a drug dealer and you have to speak one way to that person. And then you turn around the next day and you're talking to the mayor of the city to tell them about this drug deal you have going or what, whatever this case is. So you really have to you know, learn how to speak to speak to your audience. And I learned that the very hard way on the streets here in Atlanta. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really fascinating how you have to kind of, 
you're always being authentic, right? But you have to talk different ways to different people and understand your audience and, and really what uh, the way that they're going to hear you the best and most effectively, I think. But specifically, I, I wanted to go a little bit into, I know that you had maybe an incident with a victim, right? A woman who was, I guess, really victimized that got you excited about going down the path of being more proactive with with trying to prevent crimes, right? Which, which kind of led you down this path of night protection services. Yeah, so I, I responded to a call. Um, it was an audible alarm. And it just, all that means is like somebody's alarm's going off, right? So the police, back in the day, the police would get dispatched and you'd go and you check it out. These days that's changed a little bit here in Atlanta where not every alarm actually gets police response. But what it turns out is like 97% of alarms are false alarms. So you go... And you think you're just going to take a lap around the house, make sure nothing's wrong and it's fine. But this one instance, I show up to this house, back doors kicked in. My partner and I go through and the house looks like, it looks like a crime scene. I mean, it, it, like straight out of a movie, right? All the drawers are ransacked, the TV's missing, laptop's missing, just things everywhere. And it, it's one of those that, you kind of have to detach yourself as a police officer because you're really just there to report the incident. You're not necessarily there to prevent crime. It's more of a, a reporting position. A lot of people don't realize that. It's a respond and report, not a prevent. So as we're sitting here, we have, you have to call the homeowner, get the homeowners there and start inventorying items. So they just got victimized. They just got violated by somebody being in their home. And then you're like, okay, now give me a list of everything missing. So it's kind of almost like a robotic thing. I mean, it sounds really insensitive when you say it like that, but at the end of the day, you're doing your job. So you start listing out the TV, the laptop, you know, a few hundred dollars of cash in the sock drawer. Then we get into the bedroom and the, the wife is a husband, wife, and the wife goes into the bedroom, goes into her jewelry box and starts going through this jewelry box where she starts looking like scrambling for this ring. And it was her grandmother's heirloom ring. Her grandmother had died about two weeks prior. And it's just an irreplaceable item. You know, you, you can't replace this ring that's just been passed down through generations in their family. And she just starts bawling. And as she's crying, she, she looks up and she's like, what can we do to never have this happen again? What can we do to not be victimized again? And the unfortunate part in law enforcement is there's so much liability attached to everything you say, you can't give that recommendation. You can't say, this is what I would do because if, say, I recommend a certain alarm company and that alarm, she gets broken into again, but you can turn around and sue me, sue the police department, sue the city because I made that recommendation in an official capacity. Mm-hmm. It led me to, for, for a couple of years after that, it just bugged me that, you know, what's the real impact we were making in law enforcement and it actually led me to start night protection services where we do that exact thing that law enforcement's kind of scared to do. We actually do an audit of your security, and this is home or commercial properties, and we'll audit your security and give you those recommendations to avoid those instances from happening. We do a, a 10, 15, 20-page report that kind of just details. Here are your weaknesses, kind of like a SWOT analysis for security. So we look at your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities for crime to occur, and then any threats you're facing in the area. And a big piece of that is communicating to clients in a tactical way of, hey, not, hey, you're going to die if you don't do this. It's, 
hey, here are some issues we can improve upon because it's a very sensitive topic, right? You can't just go, you know, bull in a china shop and just plow through, hey, y'all are going to die if you don't hire me because that's just not the way to do business, you know? No doubt. That's funny. Yeah, I'm curious to kind of some of the keys because uh, I've definitely dealt with a lot of clients where I have to communicate kind of, I guess, difficult messages or maybe sell them a product that is related to difficult circumstances, right? Um, so I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts around how do you communicate that to them in a way that really lands with them and gets them focused in the right direction for their own safety and protection? You know, it really turns into shaping the conversation. And, and again, it's all about communication, right? So if you just hit them upside the head with a stack of, you know, 15 paper, uh, that type of document, that's not going to do any good for them. You know, a big piece of what I believe is great communication is active listening. So as you're talking to the client, you have to hear what they hear, right? You have to hear what the best way to frame the conversation for them is going to be. I have some clients that are, you know, gung-ho, Second Amendment, NRA supporters, and I can just like blast them with the issues. I have other people that are, you know, they don't like firearms. They don't support having a gun in the house. They don't want to harm anybody that comes, even if somebody's breaking in their home, they don't want to harm that person. It's so you really have to shape that and you have to listen for that. And if you can't listen to what the client's saying, you'll never know how to frame it appropriately if you're just ready to respond all the time, right? So by actively listening to those little insights, you can then shape your conversation of that sales pitch or of that sales process into, all right, this is the best way they're going to receive what I have to say. Yeah, and it, it's so critical. So many of us spend so much of our time in conversation just waiting to say what we want to say, right? Or maybe ask the next question. It's a real, it's been a challenge for me, certainly, as I've tried to develop the skill. I know it's a challenge for a lot of folks as to how do you really listen and put kind of your agenda to the side and really try to understand the other person. So it's, it's definitely a, a really interesting topic that I think we're all trying to get better at. Something else I'm a bit interested in. Now, I know that you spent some time in the armed forces, right? And, and you've led folks in battle type situations, which are certainly high stressful, risky, difficult situations. I'd love to hear any insights around both leadership and communication in that context. You know, it really delves into culture and there's a whole long conversation we could talk about the culture of organizations and the culture of even in a relation within family, you know, there's, there's all these different types of culture and in the military, especially the infantry. So I'm an infantry officer in the military and infantry. It's always a do this because I said so mentality. I have the authority. I have the rank do it because I said so. Right. And that doesn't go well with me. That doesn't go this generation, right? Everybody, we're the why generation. Why do I need to do that? Why do I need to listen to this person? And a big piece of that is one, obviously garnering respect. So to get a little bit of a context of the deployment, I deployed in 2018 to Afghanistan. Um, we were getting attached to a special forces unit. So we ran combat operations every four days for about eight months. And I got my platoon. My platoon had 35 guys in it. 
I got my platoon two months before we went into combat. So in a two-month time frame, not only did I have to train these guys to be proficient enough to go into combat and live, but I had to train them to where if I said two words, they reacted. It wasn't a, why should I listen to this guy? Or why is he saying this? It's, they have to have that trust in me that if I'm saying, you know, go to this location or move 20 feet to your left, they know it's for their best interest, right? So you have to develop that culture. And it started with active listening, honestly. And I'm going to drive that point home so much where, I love it. you know, situation, I'm, I'm two months into the, or, I'm sorry, two years into the military when I deployed, my right-hand man was 16 years in the military and three deployments. The three guys under him both had eight years of experience. So even though I was the higher-ranking guy, I could walk in and just like bull in a china shop and just, well, this is what I want to do because I'm the boss and put my stamp on it, right? But that doesn't, one, that creates like a, a terrible work environment for these people that have been doing it five, ten times longer than I've been doing it, right? But also, it completely discredits the, their experience and everything you're doing. So the way I kind of game plan that was I'm going to listen to everything they have to say and make sure they feel heard because that's what's going to buy that trust in the relationship. Make sure that the subordinates or your team feel like their ideas are valid because I'm actively listening. I'll let them say their entire piece. And this is, of course, in the planning in a combat situation, it's a little bit different when bullets are flying. But in order to get to that point, you know, you let them voice their entire opinion. You say, I appreciate your insight. I'm going to take this, this, and this because I really like that. But then from my perspective of the bigger overall mission of the military or of the organization, it's like this bigger overarching mission still needs this piece in here. And since I'm the one responsible at the end of the day, I have to make that decision. But you have to listen to those people along the way, even in the military. Otherwise, you're just setting yourself up for failure. Absolutely. And again, it's, it's something that a lot of folks struggle with. Um, the ability to take others' feedback in a way that allows them to feel heard. While at the same time, and I was just talking about this with, with somebody the other day, being able to give feedback to them in a way that they feel understood and is valuable, even if you might be correcting them or saying, hey, you know, I don't agree with you on this, but you're still making them feel good about it, right? That's certainly a challenge for a lot of folks. I don't know, any guidance around how to give feedback effectively in a scenario where you have to coach somebody up, right? Where maybe they're not performing as you'd like to see them perform. I'm all about, and I can't remember what it's actually called, but it's like the good news or bad news sandwich. Ah, uh, you know? yeah. I'm all about that, right? Because at the end of the day, it's no different than waking up in the morning and I have a, my morning routine where I, I write three things I'm grateful for on the mirror every day. It's no different where in every situation, no matter how crappy it is, how upset and miserable you're feeling, you can always find three things that are happening that you're happy with in life. I'm breathing. I have a roof over my head. I ate yesterday. I have somebody that loves me. You can always find something. And I feel like coaching people is the same way. You can always find something that they did really well, right? So I love the, hey, you did this piece really well. What we need to work on is this, this, and this. 
And then you circle back around with, I really appreciate your effort. I appreciate your motivation. I appreciate your dedication into what you're doing. And I I find that is like really effective, especially with the type A really assertive dominant types that I deal with every single day from law enforcement to military to now in, in business, I'm working with CEOs and executives that don't want some snot nosed 32 year old coming in and telling them how to run business. But at the end of the day, I have the background to do so. So you have to be really delicate. And that's where, just like a SWOT analysis, like I was talking about, you hit them with the strengths. Hey, you're doing this really well. You hit them with the weaknesses. Oh, man, well, this is something we need to work on. And then you hit them with the other side of things. But overall, you're doing this, this, and this really well. And I think that's the best way to kind of give that. We call it an AAR in the military, an after-action review. And every single time you have to find those three good things that really went well before you just knock them upside the head with the, we really got to work on this though, you know? Yeah. It's about being thoughtful about it, I think, and really taking the time to understand what you appreciate about the performance as well as what, uh, what you what they need to improve upon. I also find it's helpful to focus on the issue at hand, right? Or the goal rather than the person. Right. I've received a lot of feedback in my day that felt, you know, very personal rather than around kind of the goal and the mission and trying to get better. I mean, it's always easier to take when I feel like we're both aligned around achieving the same kind of goal. I mean, a similar approach to sales, even, right? Like you said, in talking to a client, it's not just about what they're doing wrong. You have to build them up as well and then help them get better in the midst of building them up, right? Make them feel good and then help them lead them in the direction that they need to go in. So, Definitely good feedback there. Something else I want to chat about. I know that you talk a lot about servant leadership. So I'd love for you to maybe define that for us and and maybe give an example or or tell a story around what that really means to you and how can folks in the audience kind of undertake servant leadership in their day-to-day lives? That's such a great question, man. And And I think there's so many different ways to define leadership and I'm learning more and more. The more people I talk to on my podcast, they all have a different definition, but these great leaders are the best leaders I've seen. It all turns back to them describing servant leadership just in their own, in in their own way. Right. And the best way I describe servant leadership is you walk into a situation, you're the executive, you're the leader of this tribe and the best way to serve them has to come to the forefront every single day. And that, that's not just your customers. That's not your, just your clients, but you really have to look at every situation. How can I be of service here? And granted, I'm not perfect at it. You know, I am that type A high ego type of guy where sometimes that shines through. So you kind of miss the ball a couple of times. Just ask my wife. She'll fully admit that I'm not the best leader at home. But when it comes to, you know, practicing this every single day, if you can stay objective about what's the best way I can serve my company, you know, as an employee, as a leader, you walk in with that mentality of not expecting anything, but seeing where you can add value across the board. And it can even be things, and this is the real key, and this is how you know you're really honing in your servant leadership is when you start thinking critically about how you can be of service. So it's not just 
here's my task list. All right, I'm going to serve in this task list. It's here's my task list. And here's something else I think that would go really well in this task list that I'm going to knock out because it would be of service to whoever needs that, if that makes sense. So you're outside the box to be that, take that extra step in serving. And that's when you start example of servant leadership because you're just always driving forward in adding that value to everybody around you. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's a really great way to think about it. And and how do you, I know, I know I've seen before and talking about servant leadership, kind of turning the pyramid upside down, right? You're at the bottom supporting everybody above you to achieve the same goal together. It's not them supporting you, it's you supporting them. I always thought that's a really powerful image to think about it. But first, have you guys ever struggled to gain traction driving paid traffic while it seems like your competitors are just having a lot more success? If so, then you're gonna love what I put together for you. I mean, how about a free analysis of you versus your top three competitors? To gain clarity around what is really working and what isn't and where the opportunities are. Does that sound good? Well, I've partnered with some of the best in the paid traffic business to create inflection marketing. I only partner with the best. No one has more experience. These guys have been doing it since 2001, and they've been helping companies win paid traffic across all channels, including Google, Microsoft, and Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Amazon. And here's the best part. For anyone who sets up a consultation appointment, we'll provide you with a free competitive analysis comparing your pay-per-click advertising versus your competitors, looking at things like messaging, keywords, volume, and cost per click. And there's no obligation for this. It'll give you the foundation that you need to succeed, whether you decide to work with us or not. So to learn more about how we can help you take your digital marketing game to the next level and drive a true inflection in your paid traffic, as well as get your complimentary competitive analysis, go to gregjrice.com backslash inflection. That's gregjrice.com backslash inflection to schedule a quick discussion to see if there may be a fit here or not. So with that, let's dive into our interview. In the same vein, I know you talk a lot about being the first follower. So I'd love to, for you to talk a little bit, little bit about that as well. And what does that mean from a leadership perspective? And it, it's such an impactful lesson that I learned. Um, here in Atlanta, they have the Dale Carnegie Institute. And everybody knows Dale Carnegie, right? How to win friends and influence others. One of his greatest works. And it talks about, it's all about leadership. It's all about communication. and I, when I was going through this course, I ended up going back. I loved the lessons of Dale Carnegie so much. I went back and taught a few sessions through Dale Carnegie. And one of the, the, the most impactful lesson I took from it is sometimes you have to be that first follower. And the video they showed is um, it was at a, it looked like an outdoor concert where this one guy gets up and starts just dancing, like just, Nobody else is around, dancing like nobody was watching. And you hear in the video, people start making fun of him. And this goes on for a couple minutes. And then one other guy, one other guy, that first follower, jumps up, runs over, and starts dancing right alongside him. And as soon as that one, that second person, as soon as he jumps up and starts dancing as well, it all of a, all of a sudden almost becomes like a flash mob where dozens and dozens of people just run and start dancing, right? 
because of that number two guy. That number two guy bit on to, man, that guy's having fun. I'm going to go have fun too. And then all of a sudden, everybody else started following one leader. I took that and applied it in, into the military going into that deployment like I was talking about. Yes, at the end of the day, I'm the leader. But, but my platoon sergeant, with 16 years of experience and three deployments, he has a lot of great leadership points that, that he can bring into my lack of experience in the military. So there were several times where I just had to take a step back and be that first follower. And that allowed so much for him to excel as a leader as well, where that first follower, every leader has to have a first follower. And sometimes the best leaders understand that and have the humility to take that step back and be that first follower by supporting another leader, a subordinate leader, somebody on their team so that everybody gets that buy-in into their ideas. And it, it just, it's so impactful when you see it and it clicks that first time. It's like, wow, now I get how that first follower changes everything about leadership. Yeah, very cool. I've actually seen that video before too. And it, it is really powerful, right? He's dancing by himself like 15 minutes <laughs> looking like an idiot. And then before you know, everybody's dancing with him. And it's really a great metaphor for you know anybody who's trying to do anything new, I think, faces that, right? People always talk you down. People always say, oh, you're going to fail or why are you doing that? Or, or so, and some of them care about you. They just don't want to see you take that risk. But you just got to keep believing in yourself. And eventually, as you succeed, people will start to follow you, right? And I'm sure you, when you started your company, you probably went through some of that, right? Some folks telling you, hey, you know, what are you doing? You should do this instead. And you had to kind of fight through that kind of negative feedback and be that lone dancer. And so more folks started following you. So the audience can't see, um, the audience listening can't see. I was nodding emphatically during that because I cannot tell you the level of hate that I received first starting night protection because I essentially turned around and said, hey, the police aren't the end-all be-all. And the chief I worked for essentially disavowed me ever working for that agency wow. because I turned around and said, hey, y'all aren't doing the full job of protecting and serving. And it's, a, it's an aggressive stance to turn around and say, the police are not the answer. But if we can be objective about it for just a second and realize that's the police aren't preventative, you know? And that's the whole message I try to put behind things is, you know, the police, I love them. I support the blue line. I'm all about it. I will never turn away from the great mission they have but they're a piece of the puzzle, you know? They're just one piece to an overarching puzzle that we can build and design for better protection. But when I tell you the hate that I received for that rhetoric, saying they're not the only thing, the end-all be-all, I think it's no different than anybody that takes the courage and makes that leap into entrepreneurship, into business ownership. You're going to have those haters that say, nah, man, you're reinventing the wheel or or you should do it this way because this is the way it's always been done. But when you have that, and Simon Sinek is such a great author, and one of the best books that I've ever read is, you know, what's your why or start with why. And if you have that why of why you want to do what you're doing, all the hate falls to the wayside, you know, and, and it's difficult and there's it's a difficult path. And it's definitely things that I've struggled with over the years up and down, right? You have your, your wins, you have your losses, 
But if you can go back to that why, when all the haters start chirping at you, you know, that's going to be like one of the most impactful things to carry you through those dark days because you're going to have those haters just have to maintain the courage to continue on the mission you're doing. Yeah. And you got to have that strong why I think folks go into, they have an idea, they get excited about it, but they don't have that foundation. First person who kind of hits them up with some negative feedback and, and they just stop, you know, they just stop right there. And in your case, when I'm sure that was, you know, that was your network of folks, right? The police force, that was your universe. Probably it's really hard to, go through that with the folks who maybe you care about the most outside of your family. Very challenging to be able to to battle through that, to be able to succeed. But I think anybody who's doing anything worthwhile has to battle through something like that one way or another. It, it never comes easily, I don't think. So one other separate topic I want to dive into before just a couple of general questions that I'd like to ask everybody. I'd like to talk a little bit about the great nonprofit work you're doing with Surviving and Thriving. I know the work that you're like working closely with your wife around, right? And specifically, I'd love to talk about from a communication perspective, how can folks handle those situations with maybe bullies or maybe really difficult folks or situations where they're being abused or there's violence? You know, are there strategies folks can use from a communication perspective to avoid that situation altogether or to get away from it, you know, or just any strategies or thoughts you have around that? Because I think some folks in the audience might find it really valuable. Yeah, I appreciate you asking about the the nonprofit. It's a huge mission here in Atlanta. You know, it, it's it's a difficult topic talking about domestic violence, and you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said the word bully. My life, every fight I got into in high school, I was the guy that went and beat up the bully because I hate bullies. And this nonprofit is just a foretelling of that, where any any person that beats on somebody else, generally it's male to female, but you do have those times where the female is beating up the guy. Anybody that's beating on somebody else that can't defend themselves is just a bully. And when I tell you bullies piss me off, it's no different than the burglar breaking into your house. You're a dang bully. It's no different than me going to war, uh, you know, terrorist attacks. You're bullies. And I, it absolutely drives me crazy to deal with these situations of people picking on the perceived individuals that are weaker, right? And and it's just a perception. And that's what I say all that to put the context around the conversation of if you, if your best friend is getting abused by her husband and you go to her looking at her like she's weak, she will never truly understand how to get out of that situation because everybody around her just sees her as being weak. And it's a very delicate conversation of mindset resilience and it's not an overnight conversation. It's a long-term conversation where the individual self-worth has been stripped from them after years. And you think abuse, you think physical, the more predominant type of abuse is psychological and verbal and you you'll see that so much more often where you have somebody that is just demeaning you have somebody that takes away credit cards as a punishment or takes away bank accounts and money as a punishment that's all abuse and it's just something that's not necessarily outwardly seen because there's no bruises from it there's no broken bones from that so if you have somebody going through these situations it's really delicate where you can't just say oh that guy's an a-hole you should leave him 
because they instantly shut down to that. That's not active listening on your part, right? So you have to, of course, be a sounding board for this individual when they come to you and cry to you and say, hey, this is what's happening. You can't say, you can't turn around and say, leave them. You can't turn around and say, you deserve better than that because at the end of the day, they won't believe you. Yes, they deserve better than that. Yes, they should leave the situation. But again, their self-worth has been stripped for so long. A big piece of that is they don't think they deserve any better. They think they deserve to be abused in this way. So it's one of those that you really have to separate your personal feelings against the bully, separate that and look at the victim as not a victim, but look at that person as somebody that needs your support and needs that buildup of confidence, needs that, that rhetoric spoken to them about, here's how we can start making progress to get you out of this situation. Here are some tactics you can take. And that, that's so different. Like I can't, I, I don't really want to say, say this, this, and this, because it's so different to each person. Mm-hmm. Again, that's part of the process where you have to be specific in what you're saying, because every, everybody's going to hear it differently. So it's really hard to have that conversation. And like you said, surviving and thriving is a, is a great resource for that. I'm going to go ahead and plug my wife's social media. It's too thriving at ATL all across social media. And if you have one of those difficult conversations, reach out to her, reach out to us. We have so many resources that can help you carry that conversation with your friend. But it's just one of those you have to be really delicate in that situation because they already have such a fragile uh, mentality towards things that you just really have to shape that conversation very well. Yeah, nope. Rambly answer, but I'm very passionate about that piece of it. No, that's great. That's great. Uh, I, I definitely open to you sharing and plugging your wife's nonprofit. Uh, my own plug, I'll be talking to her in the next couple episodes as well to go much kind of deep around that topic. But I knew it was something that was important to you as well. Um, so I definitely wanted to get your perspective. And, and let me just say tremendous work you guys are doing down in Atlanta to help women who are, are trying to rebuild their lives coming out of those very challenging situations. So, so thanks for sharing that. Just a couple more questions I like to ask everybody on the show. One, we've kind of already talked about the, the power of a conversation. So I'd like to ask everybody about a conversation they've had in their life that's had a really meaningful impact on them. And just to tell me a little bit about that, right? Maybe it's with a parent or with a mentor or, or with somewhere, someone that led you in a different direction and a different path. So this is going to be quite different than most. <laughs> and at the time, I completely shut down to it. This was when I was fresh at the police department. Again, you have to have that active listening where sometimes somebody's going to say something and you just hate the way they say it. You just automatically shut down to it because they're being an a-hole about the way they said it. So you don't hear what the actual message was, right? So the situation, the story is that we were serving a warrant for somebody that had like it was murder, robbery, like all sorts of crazy crazy crimes that this dude was obviously violent. We knew he had a track record of using weapons, firearms specifically. And we have this house surrounded and I'm in the front yard and I'm standing there watching my sector, right? I have this corner of the house, the windows, the doors that I'm looking at. And I'm sitting here ready to go. I I think I'm ready to go. You know, my, my pistol's drawn. I'm just ready. I'm focused. And this Sergeant walks by. I didn't realize he was trying to be a mentor and later we have, we have such a great relationship now, but he walks by and he's like, 
am I allowed to cuss on this so I can be frank about the conversation? Go for it. Okay. So he's like, hey, dumbass, don't you think you should take cover? And three feet to my left was this giant oak tree that would be the perfect cover in case I got shot at. And I turned and looked at him. I'm like, yeah, Sergeant, I guess that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? And did not move. <laughs> did not move because he said, hey, dumbass. Now, the, the lesson there is his message was, hey, man, it'd be a lot safer for you to get a cover behind this tree in case we get shot at. All I heard was, hey, dumbass. Mm-hmm. And I instantly shut down to that because who likes to be called a dumbass? Was I being a dumbass? Absolutely. But who likes being called one? Right? So, yes, there's poor communication on his part, but there's worse communication on my part because I wasn't listening to the message that he was trying to deliver that could potentially save my life. And that just looking back at that years later, I mean, it took me years to get objective about that, right? Years later, I look back at that. I'm like, once I, once I went through Dale Carnegie, once I started learning about active listening, it's like, man, he had a good, I'd only listened to what he had to say and not been pissed off about it. It could have totally changed my relationship with him for the next couple of years. Cause I just thought he was being an a-hole all the time when realistically that's just the way he delivered his message. So I, I again, I, I ramble cause I, I, I'm so passionate about that, but you know, if you can just look past the way somebody delivers their message into what the actual message is, you're going to get so much value out of that. And, and it just ties back into actively listening to the message somebody's delivering to you. Yeah, no, that, that's such a critical point. And for me, what it brings me back to is parenting. You know, I have multiple teenagers and often I'll see something they're doing and come at them from a negative perspective you know, and just not position it in a way that communicates, I guess, my understanding of their situation, right? It communicates my anger or my frustration with whatever I see the challenge to be. And once I do that, they're turning off. They're not listening to any of the hopefully valuable feedback that I'm trying to share in the first place. So it's, it's such a critical thing to remember. And I'm glad you made it out of there safely. <laughs> and you didn't have to hide behind the oak tree at the end of the day. So next question. A lot of folks ask me about first impressions. And this is kind of a side topic from what we've been talking about. But so I like to ask folks, if, if you're meeting somebody for the first time, what's the single most important thing they can do to, I guess, connect with you or make you feel like, hey, this is somebody I might want to work with in the future, right? To impress you. Like, what are you looking for when you meet somebody that makes you feel good about them? Don't try to impress me. What, what drives me nuts, especially in networking situations, is somebody that's so braggadocious, they can't see past their own idea. You know, they walk up and tell you how great they are. And it's, it's funny. I actually was on a call yesterday with somebody that saw what I'm doing with my podcast. And from my podcast has come this other brand, Be a Tactical Leader. It's essentially a COO for hire. And this guy hops on a call with me and he was like, hey, man, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this, this, and this. And I think it'd be really great for your brand would you like to be in a strategic partnership with me? Not once asked about my vision, not once asked about my mission, not once asked about what I'm actually trying to accomplish with that brand. And instead just automatically assumed he'd be a great fit for it. That drives me nuts, especially, especially on a first impression 
where you haven't once tried to get to know me, but you automatically think we're, we're going to be amazing together. And I'm big on first impressions. If that's my first impression of you, it's going to take a lot to overcome that because I'm going to think about that every single time, right? Personal fault, but first impressions are just crucial to me. So if you walk up to me trying to impress me instead of just trying to get to know me and trying to have that good conversation and you just brag about all the great things you're doing, instantly turns me off. Oh, that's great feedback. And something we can really remember from a sales perspective too, because we spend so much time trying to understand why our product is great and not nearly enough time understanding what the client's situation is or why they might need it or how it might help them. So really critical from that perspective. Last question, because I definitely want to be respectful of time. As you kind of look back at your journey and you think about the biggest challenges and struggles that you had, what is the one communication skill you wish you had in greater abundance back then that would have led to a much easier path for you, if that question makes sense? It does. And I mean, it turns back into, yet again, active listening. It, over the years, if I had gotten past my, my arrogance and listened to the message people were trying to deliver to me instead of the way they delivered it, I can't tell you where my life, my career would have been in a different place because, you know, I just, I showed to so many people that I thought were just being rude or being a-holes and totally missed. Now, granted from that, I learned how I don't want to communicate, mm-hmm. you know, good lessons from that, but I missed so many great lessons in my, the early part of my career. If I can, the one thing that I've really emphasized to my young soldiers, I, I, with dozen 18 and 19 year olds. And one of the big things I drove, tried to drive home to them was, yes, your, your staff sergeant, your squad leader is going to jump your stuff sometimes, right? He's going to chew you out. He's going to make you do push-ups. He's going to smoke you. But what is the message he's trying to get across to you beyond all of that? And if you can find that message, you don't have to worry about getting chewed out again because you're not going to make that mistake again. And that is like the biggest piece I could recommend to that young individual, that young future leader. Listen as actively listen as best as you can in every situation. Yeah. And then really separate the message from how it's delivered. Right. So yeah, really great stuff there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, tell folks where they can most easily find you at. Yeah. So on the security side, um, you can find at night. Pro LLC. It's K-N-I-G-H-T Pro LLC. And I have content, every social media outlet. Um, you can find me there. And then just recently launched the website for the podcast. It's beatacticalleader.com. And on social media, it's across uh, at beatacticalleader all across social media. So definitely check it out and reach out if you have any questions or comments or want to tell me that I'm crazy about my view on leadership. I'm open to all of it. <laughs> and, and don't forget to check out the podcast itself, the Tactical Leadership Podcast. A lot of tremendous value and insights, just like we kind of heard today. They're really cool stuff. I started listening in preparation for this and kind of couldn't stop listening. There were just a lot, lot of great stuff there. So, so thanks for that. But really appreciate the time today. Uh, hopefully, my listeners got some great value out of the insights. I'm sure that they did. And, and definitely feel free to reach out to Zach and, and check out his company, his podcast. I think there's a lot of great value there. So thanks a lot, Zach. Appreciate your time today. And and just remember that you're only one good conversation away from taking your business and your life to the next level. Thank you. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. 
We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.